good stuff. Okay. And away we go. Is film like milk? Yes. Because it's got culture in it. And it's... Mm. Damn it. Leche. <laughs> Whole milk. Skim milk. Medium milk. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk Could me? Could you milk me? Hi, and welcome back to Age Like Milk, the podcast where we talk about films that have gone bad in the mind fridge of your mind. I am one of your hosts, Paris Herbert Taylor, and through the factory gates of the magical chocolate land is my chocolate friend, David William Rogers. Hello to you. Hello, milk chocolatey in the flesh. I got a milk dead head. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have fun on this show. Oh, God. Oh, don't cancel us, anyone. Uh, David, on that note, Milk Duds, Chocolate, getting a vibe here. What is the film that we are talking about we today? We are talking about Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, 1971, directed by Mel Stewart. And the writing credits go to Roald Dahl, um, who did the screenplay. And this is based off a book of his. And there's also an uncredited um, David Seltzer that was part of this. So very interesting movie. I'd seen this multiple times growing up. I'm interested to see if you've seen it before, Paris. Um, just of kind course. of yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. No, I think I think this is a classic film. I honestly can hand on heart tell you I don't think I'd seen it in maybe 20 years maybe maybe 15 you know it's it's one of those classics that you remember loving as a kid and then to watch it now you know as an adult and to watch it in high definition which i don't think this movie was meant to be shot in high definition i have some thoughts but i think is it your turn to do the synopsis or mine yeah i think it's my time i can do okay. it real quick as Just... the chocolate man you can do the chocolate yeah. factory right. synopsis <clears throat> so little background on the chocolate factory um this chocolate factory in Germany, I believe, just awesome place, had the greatest chocolates. And then all these spies were trying to get in there to steal Willie's recipes, right? So he had to shut down his business. It was locked down for like three years. All of a sudden it started running up again and the gates were still closed. Nobody knew how he was making chocolates because there was no workers coming in and out. Um, fast forward to uh, Charlie who is like our hero of the story. And he's a kid in school. He's working a paper out. He's taking care or helping to take care of his four grandparents and helping out his mom and, you know, low means, right? Kind of on the poor side. And they find out there's this contest. Kid runs into the class and is like, Willy Wonka's factory is up and running. They're going to do this contest with gold tickets. And the teacher's like, all right, everybody, school shut down for the day. <laughs> so I, I we'll talk about the issue with this town and their addiction <laughs> to sugar. <laughs> but obviously, um, you can shut down the whole city <laughs> when, when you're talking about candy. So this contest, five golden tickets in these candy bars throughout the globe. And those five lucky winners get to go to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory for a day, do a tour, get to actually see this guy. And they win a lifetime supply of chocolate um, by doing that. So these five white kids <laughs> all win tickets throughout the globe. I don't know how that happened statistically, but it did. And they go in there uh, one by one. They don't follow the rules at this contract that they signed. So they start to get knocked off with different candy that they're trying. Not uh, Uncle Joe or sorry, um, Grandpa Joe and Charlie also get in trouble. And there's this like sinister character who's trying to buy some of the recipes for this everlasting gobstopper exactly um but he 
at the end of it, you find out he was working for Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka was testing all his kids because he wanted somebody to take over his chocolate factory, be pure of heart, not change anything that he set up. And then we see that Charlie wins that because he doesn't sell his soul, basically, or sell the everlasting cop stopper. And Willy Wonka gets all excited, and then they fly off into the sunset. In a glass elevator, which mm-hmm. makes complete sense. Yeah. Uh, great synopsis, David. Well, I'm so excited to get into this film. You definitely touched on some things that I think we maybe, <laughs> you know, need to look a little closer at in 2022. <laughs> but before we dive into the discussion, we are so happy to welcome our guest today. Hello to Bernardo Cubria. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. This is one of my favorite movies ever made. <laughs> Yes, this was your suggestion, so that's why we're diving in. But as soon as you said it, I was like, I'm so here for it. David and I both have been reading Mel Brooks's autobiography this year, and he's obviously a big fan of Gene Wilder. So I literally put this movie on last night, and my partner was like, "Uh, are you just like watching every single one of Gene Wilder's movies? And I was like, you know what? I might be, because he's a great actor and very hilarious. So yes, but before we dive too much- I'm obsessed with Gene Wilder. I've read his autobiography. I don't know if you, either one of you have ever read it. It's amazing. It's a strange, it's very strange. He like, every chapter is like some weird poetic kind of poem about an incident in his life. I'm I'm obsessed with him. I can talk about Gene Wilder. He is without a doubt one of my four favorite actors to ever live. Like it's yeah. Okay, David. I think I sense a new autobiography that we're gonna have to get because we love a good Hollywood autobiography. But yes, Gene is amazing. But before we talk about that amazing actor let's talk about an amazing former actor bernardo you are a recovering actor now a screenwriter slash playwright who you recently sold a screenplay to gina rodriguez ow ow exciting you are also playwright we talked we we just met a couple of weeks ago you had a couple plays you're mainly based in new york right i was based in new york but now i'm in los angeles yeah Mm-hmm. Now you're in LA, right. Do you want to talk a little bit about your experiences? I mean, I could read off your extensive bio here, but I'd rather hear it from you. How did you get started in the business? And, you know, let's go from there. Well, so I started out as an actor. I moved to New York when I was like fresh out of theater school, as people do. And all I wanted to do was be an off-Broadway actor. That was like my goal in life was to do theater forever. And I was very uh, sure that I would just be, you know, a, a an artist, you know, my whole life. And then uh, as I started doing plays in New York, I started getting frustrated with the fact that all I was auditioning for were like narco characters or undocumented immigrants and, you know, all the uh, stereotypes that one Mexican can play. And so I started realizing that the people who in the theater had the power were the writers because they were the ones who got to say to the world, tell the stories that they wanted to tell. And so I thought, well, if I want to have more control in these rooms, I should start writing. And so that led me to start writing plays. And so then in New York for a long time, I was a playwright and an actor, and that's what I was doing. And then started realizing that if I ever wanted to have a family or purchase anything, like forget a house, (laughs) just own things that I was going to have to do something besides theater. A car, clothes, you know, a cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. Any of that, uh, that I was not probably if I stayed in the theater the rest of my life. The story that I tell is I was doing a play at my favorite theater in New York, which is called the public theater. And I was a lead in a Shakespeare play there. And I was like, this was truly like my dream in life. And I was like, I made it. I'm set. And one night a friend of mine came to see me in the play and we went to the bar in the theater 
And we went upstairs and I ordered two old fashions, one for me, one for my friend. And my card bounced. <sighs> and I was like, oh, wait, I'm at the pinnacle of what I can do as a theater actor. And I can't afford two old fashions at the theater that I work at, you know, <laughs> wow. which is like a yeah. very well-respected theater, you know. And I thought, oh, God, I need to get out. And that's when my wife and I decided to move to L.A. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And then so how did you I mean, a lot of people decide to move to L.A. You know, not all of them have sold screenplays to Gina Rodriguez and Carla Souza. How did that happen? Well, I don't recommend that anybody follow my path. This is just proof that there is no one way and that it's really mm -hmm. stupid. But I wrote a very strange experimental play called Crabs in a Bucket that's about crabs that live in a bucket, okay? And my friend Carla Souza, who's in a theater company with me, came and did a reading at my house, like just as friends. And then afterwards, she said, hey, have you ever thought of writing screenplays? And I said, I have, but I've never done it. I don't even know how to write a screenplay. And she said, well, on Friday, I have a meeting at Gina Rodriguez's office and I need to pitch her three movie ideas. Do you want to be my screenwriter? And I, of course, said yes, hung up the phone with her and then called a friend of mine who's an actual screenwriter, Mondo Alvarado. And I said, what's a screenplay? How do you write one? What do you do? <laughs> and he said, buy these books. I bought Save the Cat like everybody does and story and screenplay. And I devoured those books in like two days came up with three pitch ideas. I mean, again, I've never pitched in my life. On Friday, I showed up to Gina Rodriguez's office an hour and a half early because I was so nervous. I then, I then was so nervous, I threw up in the dumpster behind the building. <laughs> nice. This is a real story, yeah. And then I went in and I sold it in the room, the, the premise, the idea, which was crazy. Again, and there's the, no... The, movie, yeah. the movie's called Like It Used To Be? Yes, yeah. exciting and this is the i think this is the one i read which is yeah you uh, read this like one a, yeah they were very a, kind it's a road right. movie between four girlfriends and they go to mm -hmm. mexico yeah, yeah it's a beautiful story i am not surprised that they were enchanted by this the, the idea but you're right like you know there that is not a linear path it's also just so crazy because there are so many people who you know do all the right things they go to the right schools they follow the path and they probably haven't sold something like you have but you came through a very different trajectory so i mean i'll say yeah. so that that movie then we sold it it was then four days from being shot before covid hit and mm -hmm. a lot of my screenwriter friends were like fuck you dude like what this is insane you're already having a movie made you know because again there is no path in this business that's why it's so frustrating because it's not a meritocracy at all <laughs> it's not like if you do x you will get y it's it's weird it's like who you know sort what of door like opens. how Sort of like how you could be the richest kid in the land and have your dad opening thousands of chocolate bars an hour, or you could be little Charlie Buckets with four grandparents in a bed and just buy a chocolate bar after you already think all the golden tickets are gone and boom, you're the fifth kid. Exactly. I'm seeing a lot of similarities between you and you and Charlie, Charlie right now. Yeah, I'm Charlie Buckets. I'm Mexican Charlie yeah. Buckets. Yeah. You're Mexican Charlie Buckets. He secretly owns a chocolate factory. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, no, that's so interesting about your career. And so then I guess, cause we do have a lot of people that listen into the podcast, you know, that are interested in the industry as a storyteller, because it seems like you've worked across different mediums. You've used your body as an actor, you've used, you know, the stagecraft and now you're a screenplay writer. What is, uh, something that's really important about story for you or that somebody that's interested in being a writer can, can take away from like what you've learned? Oh, well, that's, I, I still don't know what I like know as like, you know, but I care about 
you know, my the thing that it motivates me and that I'm passionate about, honestly, is telling Latino, Latinx, Latine stories, whatever you want to call us, right, that do not center on the drug war, on documentation, on borders. Like, that is why I get up in the morning. That is what I'm deeply, deeply passionate about. And so honestly, to try to move away from that, I just think of like human condition shit. I had a writer friend of mine who would always say like, human condition, human condition, something that a person in South Africa and a person in France would both identify with, right? And that's what I try to think about is like, what are just universal truths that we can all identify with and connect to? Because again, I'm a Mexican kid who watched this movie and I am obsessed with Willy Wonka. Like, I think it's a perfect movie, mm -hmm. you know, and there's no representation of Latin America except for like a horrible stereotype of like a Paraguayan, you know, who's corrupt and like a gambling, was a you Nazi. know, so like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you think your, your theater background, how much um, do you think that helped being able to play Shakespeare and then sit back and then write a story? with all of that knowledge that you accumulated while working sure. in theater? I mean, the great thing about theater is you spend a lot of time in little spaces around a fold-out table making a story better. You do table work a lot. You're like just discussing story and structure a lot, even if you're not a playwright, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think those 10 years of doing that in New York were super helpful. And then honestly, I think my acting background helps a lot for pitching because like, when I pitch, I like perform the story kind of. Yeah, kind of. you're, you're and, really getting yeah. into it and you build yeah. those characters and you can present that. Yeah, and I think not every writer is someone who has acted, you know, now it's, there's a lot, everybody is a slash and a slash and a slash. But mm -hmm. I do think that gives me an advantage when I go into pitch is that I have a performance background, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're giving that person who's going to potentially buy that or green light that a picture of what that end result could be. Right. Like you give a little life to each thing that you're presenting or sure. pushing. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, I do like that. I do like that. Yeah. We could use that for this. So, yeah, that's a very good, good way to go about it for anybody that wants to pitch. Like take yeah. a take an acting class. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I think that's super important, honestly. Yeah. 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 That's, that's What's good. the biggest difference between New York and LA that you've noticed since becoming an LA person? I know there's a bit of a rivalry. I'm a foreigner, so I feel like I can be like outside of it. I love New York and LA for different reasons, but I know there's a fierce, fierce rivalry. And you are a you were a New Yorker for a long time. I know. I mean, my advice to people is when on your 20th birthday, drop out of school, move to New York, and be there until you're 30. <laughs> And then on your 30th birthday, when you start caring about adult shit, you know, then move to L.A. where you can make a lot, a lot, a lot of money. I mean, they, they both have pros and cons, right? But I feel like New York is the greatest city in the world to spend your 20s in. Mm -hmm. And then I think L.A. from 30 on, it's just easier to, like, have a family. Like, you know, I have two kids. I can go to the supermarket and put my fucking shit in the trunk, right? Instead of, like, yeah. carrying eight bags from Trader Joe's down into the right. subway. You know, yeah, being, right. you know, it's just a really like stuff like that is much easier here. But New York is yeah. way more interesting. And like the art scene there is like there's more of a community, maybe because I was in the theater, you know, here it feels very isolated. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think I think 
it's a different kind of art. Like people in LA are working artists in a way. And like some New Yorkers might consider that kind of selling out. I definitely have a hilarious story to share with you guys. I was at a Tribeca party a couple of years ago, like just before the pandemic. And, you know, I was like an assistant at the time. And I was like, you know, still reading really cool scripts and getting to go to like really interesting events and meeting people. And I have never lived in New York. I've only visited when I first decided I was going to move to the States New York was my number one choice. LA, honestly, my choices were like New York, London, then LA. And my dad convinced me to come to LA because he was like, there's so much more work. You'll meet so much more people, you know, blah, blah, blah. But New York has always held a special place in my heart. However, I moved here. So is life. I go to this Tribeca party after like living in LA for maybe like two years at this point. And I'm there and I'm speaking to this guy who thinks I'm like dog shit. Literally, he's, you know, I live in LA. He's just like sort of looking down his nose at me. I'm nobody, right? And then I like, you know, do the thing that you do where you ask someone like what they're working on or whatever. And he tells me he's made this three hour silent film about the subway. And it was in black and white. And he lived in Brooklyn. And I was like, there in a nutshell to me is the problem of like New York versus LA. This guy thinks... Anyone's going to sit through his three out. I'm sure it was beautifully shot and it was such art, but like, who's going to buy that? Who's going to go to that? Not me. And the crazy thing to- about that, that was Paul Thomas Anderson, actually, who was that. I'm <laughs> yeah, just kidding. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that movie, Licorice yeah. Pizza. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it's just funny. Like, and I get it and I get why New Yorkers are so protective and it is a difficult place to live. But I'm also like, just come to LA and check out the sunshine. It's pretty cool. You can oh, make I, fun I, of... Yeah, you can make fun of us, but you know, they don't I have totally to. agree. <laughs> yeah, when, when we first got to LA, come. <laughs> yeah, when, when we first got to LA, my wife and I were like, "Oh wait, life doesn't have to be that hard," you know. Like, there's this moment <laughs> New York tricks you into thinking it has to be hard for it to be quote unquote art, and then my wife and I were like, "Oh." It's 70 degrees and it's like, it, life does not need to be that difficult. It yeah. really does. You can go to the beach. You can go for a hike. Yeah. You don't have to fight for every square inch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But New York has a heartbeat that just can't, you know, oh. you just can't get over. I think that city, no wonder people, you know, love it so much. And I definitely love to go there. But I did see something recently. And if you guys have already heard this, correct me if I'm fucking it up. But it was like, New York people are not nice, but they're kind LA people are nice, but they're not kind. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if you would agree with that, but yeah, that was what I read. I'm from Wisconsin, so. <laughs> well, everybody's, everybody's kind in nice. Wisconsin. Yeah, everybody's yeah, exactly. nice in Wisconsin, yeah. Kind and nice. Everybody's nice and kind. But do you, what, I mean, do they have an art scene in Wisconsin, David? Is it like popping like, uh, like <clears> Yeah, there's, there's definitely, I think there's an art scene everywhere. You just got to find it. You okay. just got to find your people. Like I was at a, um, you know, theater, taking theater classes after I graduated college and you just find people that you link up with that, like that. And then you just exactly. kind of get in a little group. So you just got to be willing to get outside your comfort zone, find these people and build that way. Yeah. Totally. And it's also, like you said, it's, it's not a, there is no one path. So maybe you find your people in Wisconsin or Oregon or, Sydney, Australia, you know, it's just, I feel like New York and LA have a concentration of people. It's kind of these like flames that people flock to. And so it sort of feels sometimes like it's easier to. And that's because there's, there's uh, businesses behind that, right? Right. There's people actually like theater scene in New York, people pay money a lot to go see that. Maybe they're producing, getting out a lot more shows than, you know, a theater, smaller theater in Wisconsin. And then out here, obviously TV, movies, big business, uh, big production lots everywhere 
So it's just, yeah. Totally. Well, on that note, let's move into discussing this film, which we all watched again. Bernardo, you said that this was a perfect movie to you. Any initial thoughts off the top of how it might have changed as you've become a parent yourself, as you've become an adult? What were your initial reactions to rewatching this film? I mean, so full disclosure, I watch this movie at least once a year. I like, And so okay. it's going to be very hard for me to criticize it. I see so many holes, by the way, and I see so many <laughs> things about it that are ridiculous. But, you know, it's that thing when you watch a movie when you're five, mm. you're, you can never get rid of that five-year-old that watched it and was in awe of it. You know, and this movie mm-hmm. is so magical and so creative and it's such a fairy tale that I think the five-year-old in me will always just love it. And... Speaking of, I the whole time I was watching it last night, I kept thinking, I can't wait to show this to my son. And he's four, oh. and I'm like, mm-hmm. I wonder if he would like it yet. You know, yeah. I think once you're in the chocolate factory, he would like it. But this movie does take 45 minutes to get us to the chocolate factory, right? So yeah. I don't know how he would feel about the initial 45. He'd probably be quite bored. And, I mean, there were some, there are some scary things. Like, I remember as a child being very frightened of the tunnel scene, oh, which yeah. even re-watching as an adult, I'm like, oh, this is creepy. Okay, well, let's back up then. So I have to say, I feel the same way as you, Bernardo. I, I love this movie, and I had a grin on my face pretty much from the opening, you know, music however as an adult who is like let's fucking burn corporate america down like fuck the nine to five i the first thing i noticed was that the man who owns the candy store is literally throwing candies at all these children just throwing them everywhere you want to come back here behind the counter stick your hand i was it popped in my head i was like he's got some kids locked up downstairs (laughs) He's, he's just no he's just throwing candies at everyone and then here comes poor impoverished charlie buckets and he is like clicking his fingers for that exact change i'm like this is such bullshit this is so unfair (laughs) this is fucked up also yeah where are these people's parents they're just allowed to run around and interact with adults that is such a 70s thing that would never happen in 2022 oh not at all i mean you know because when we were kids we were allowed to i mean i would just go on my bike with my friends and my parents would be like just be back by sundown so it was just a very different time to be alive back then yeah yeah this guy's just like come back here like you said david he's like i'll give you this candy if you don't tell i'll sing it i was like fast forward like five years there's like a huge newspaper article about him (laughs) doing some suspect (laughs) suspect things Mm -hmm. just got really weird uh sammy davis jr wanted to be in this and have that part and they said he was too big of a star and it would take people out of the willy wonka reality so Mm. he didn't get it but he would still perform that candy store song um in some of his concerts Really? The can yeah. the Candyman song is great. I mean, honestly, like as a kid, I remember watching that and even just rewatching it as an adult, I was like, Oh, I remember just so badly wanting to go to that candy store and like especially being a foreign kid, I grew up in Hong Kong where I had very different sweets to what I was seeing. Like these because this town, David, you mentioned in the beginning that it was it was shot in um I think Munich. In Germany. G- mm-hmm. Germany, yeah. But what I read online, because I always assumed Charlie was American from like remembering it. And then my partner Scott was like, no, he's hasn't really got an American accent. But then I was like, well, how is he watching this local news channel where this girl in Montana found it? You know, so it's like local boy. I'm like, are they watching that? And he speaks perfect English and mm-hmm. no one is speaking in any other languages except for Charlie or for Willy Wonka. So I felt like they were trying to make it very ambiguous. Like you know, yeah, it's well, clearly the accents Europe, are, but like, yeah, the the accents are so all over the place because 
Like yeah. the teachers are clearly British. The Candyman is clearly British, but then Grandpa Joe is as American as you can be. Like I, I feel like they just got to set and people started doing accents, and the director was like, "Ah, fuck it, it's a kids movie." Go with it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, "Sure." <laughs> uh, well, you did actually bring up a great character, Grandpa Joe, old Grandpa Joe, who can't get out of bed for twenty years unless, he- unless. <laughs> There's a free trip to a candy they factory. They said 20 years, and I was like, wait, how many years have they been laying in bed, bedridden, 20 years? 20. Like, I don't know how a person survives if their their body would, like, shut down probably after 10 if you're just sitting in bed, like, bed sores. And I was like, how gross must it smell in that room with yes. four grandparents? And then they have the same names. It's like Grandpa Joe and Grandma Josephine, and then, was it Harry and Harry... Et or what are the two other writer yeah okay yeah which is and then multiple couples throughout the movie had the same similar name so i'm looking for a parasimo to marry is that right yeah pretty much okay you're looking for a davida you're looking for bernada (laughs) bernadette maybe okay got it so didn't realize you couldn't marry someone unless they had the female version or male version of your name. Got it. Cool. I like the moment when Grandpa Joe's like, you know what? I'm going to finally quit smoking because we're broke. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, wait, so exactly. for 20 years, he's still been smoking his pipe, you know? And then the grandma, and then the mom's like, yeah. you have to smoke your pipe. You need your yeah. pipe. <laughs> oh, one pipe a day doesn't matter, even though it's costing us to eat cabbage water every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Charlie has to have a full-time paper out. So he can buy us bread. And then I'll buy your tobacco now, Grandpa. Oh, yeah. Everyone's very worried about Grandpa's tobacco. And it's like, (laughs) nah, nah, nah. But yeah, so I actually couldn't find it. But somewhere recently, it's so funny that we're doing this movie. Someone had done the math and like how old the Grandpa was supposed to be at the point of this movie it was like he got into bed at the age of like 47 or something don't quote me on that but like someone was like doing the movie math and was like this is not okay like no but yeah 20 years in bed with your two in-laws that mm-hmm. is gonna be great <laughs> everybody's having a lot of sex in and that where's bed. charlie's pop at did they ever mention that where we don't charlie's know dad is we, just an absent gone. father yeah you know what would be a cool twist if Willy Wonka was Charlie's dad. Whoa. <laughs> that would be a cool twist. And it would also explain why the mom was like, nah, I won't go. You go, Grandpa Joe. Even though yeah. I work my ass off yeah. to support this family. Nah, nah, Grandpa Joe. You go ahead. You, you I, go I've ahead. been taking care of you for 20 years, laying on your <laughs> yeah. ass, and now you're doing a dance. <laughs> in his defense, the song he sings is like probably my favorite song in the whole movie. <laughs> It's a sweet I never one. dreamed it, is- it. I could write. I mean, that thing. Come on, that's tremendous. That's when you're like, he is the guy to go. He's gonna be so much fun to take to this chocolate yeah, factory. For sure. He's gonna be a blast. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's got a he's got the right attitude, you yeah. know, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I will say again, with my thirty something year old glasses on, I was like really feeling for the parents. It, like the first time around of watching it, you know, you identify with the kids, and you're like, Uvaruka, she's like spoiled, and like Mike, he's. You know, but then like watching the parents this time around, it's like, I feel for them. They're all just kind of doing their best, you know, with their like shitty kids. And I don't know. I mean, where does the parenting come in, though? Because you let them get to that point, right? Where she became. Yeah, she became. I wanted now. She became a bad egg because that dad 
uh, Mr. Salt was letting her do anything she wanted whenever, yeah. catering to her. And I was just like, tell but this little think... girl to go sit down somewhere. Totally. But, you know, I mean, again, I was like, but he, it's coming from a place of love. He's he's a bad egg himself, you know, and that gets passed down. Yeah. But like, yeah, I wouldn't be having my my factory of peanut shellers <laughs> shelling thousands of I'd be like, fuck you. Yeah. Go out and get a job. Probably but lost the business because of that. Yeah. Yeah. He's a horrible well, is... father. That guy is the worst dad. <laughs> Thank you. As a dad who deals with spoiled kids all the time at the park and at sporting events, those are the, those are the parents that make it hard for the rest of us. So yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. He's, and they're, he's and the they're worst. kids are little assholes. But do you think that his daughter deserved to go into the furnace? Yes. Yes. Hundred percent. No. <laughs> okay. The Let's world move is, on to the, the world next is topic. better off without. Willy Wonka, <laughs> child murderer, is what we should rename this movie. He says at the end of it, because Charlie's concerned about all his friends, everybody's going to be returned to the way they came into the factory that day. So fun With- fact. Um, so I actually taught, when I first moved to LA, my side hustle was I was a Spanish teacher. And I taught the screenwriter of this movie, David Seltzer Spanish. And oh, wow. I didn't realize that it was him until... I was teaching him Spanish the day Gene Wilder passed away. And I showed up to teach Spanish and I said, and I was like, oh, he was like, how are you doing? I'm like, actually, I'm really sad. Like one of my favorite people ever passed away. And he's like, Gene? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, you know, I wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I was like, dude, that's my favorite movie of all time. (laughs) So I actually talked to David Seltzer a lot about this movie. And I have some fun facts to share for this podcast, which I was excited. But that line. I'm ready. they put it in because in the book, the kids do die. Like they disappear because Roald Dahl was a pretty dark guy. Uh, oh. and so yeah, he did, the, wanna, he did do, the witches that we did. Do we want to go down the Roald Dahl thing? Because like what I was reading today, I was like this beloved children's author that I, yeah. you know, like BFG is one of my faves. Yeah, the witches oh. is great. James and the giant peach. Not a great guy can i a bit of an anti-semite yes definitely Uh wrote the oompa loompas as like a pygmy tribe that he enslaved from africa Uh let's call it Uh what it is and then it's like yeah this is and then he was like never apologized for anything that he said and then his uh state and his family was like you know he was said some crazy shit and we're sorry but like after he died was when they were allowed to remake this movie that like he did not want to, he hated this movie from what I read. So, so David Seltzer, the guy who replaced him. So they fired Roald Dahl because he had never written a screenplay before. And so that's why he's uncredited because then mm. he came on as the movie was a week into shooting, by the way. Oh, and shit. so this guy tells me these stories, which I mean, they're amazing as writers, you know, like, can you imagine? It's like, Hey, we want you to rewrite this movie. We're already shooting it. And we need you to like rewrite this scene because we're shooting it tomorrow and here we go. So his first screenwriting job ever was this, like fixing this movie, like as they're shooting it. Isn't that wild? That's wild. That's <laughs> yeah. really that cool though. Insane. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember in the books, it's a bit darker. I mean, yeah. so are fairy tales from the olden yeah. days, you know, like Little Red Riding Hood, you know, she is eaten by a wolf <laughs> and, you know. But if you're whatever. teaching kids, like don't follow the rules. And you won't turn into a blueberry and you won't get killed by the furnace. <laughs> I'm just saying what we're I talking still about. I think some of the punishments were hot. I, you know, was watching Augustus like Gloop. Cautionary tale. That. Yeah. When Augustus 
Gloop got sucked into that pipe, I was like, so basically they half drowned him and then sucked him through some pipes. Yeah. And so like he comes out and he's in therapy. I would love to. Lesson learned. <laughs> yeah, lesson and learned. Then the Oompa, with the... PTSD forever. <laughs> and then the Oompa, he, like, Loompas, plane. the Oompa Loompas tell you what not to do. So all those kids out there reading those things, they come in and be like, hey. Don't eat so much chocolate, man. <laughs> 10 years old. Don't okay, first kid. of all, where is the railing at the Chocolate River? Where are the safety precautions? I'm a stupid fucking kid. Yeah, I'm going to reach down and drink this disgust. I mean, in high definition, it did not look like a good Chocolate River. but <laughs> It was real, imagination. though. It wasn't real chocolate. Yeah, it was. No, yeah. not, first, not in 1971. I, that's what I, yeah, it was. No, uh, it, was just, it was chocolate and cream. And then the thing I said, like, the article I found, and then it just started to uh, smell really, really bad after like the <laughs> wow. first first day or two of shooting. Yeah. See, I, mean, I that read... would never be allowed now because it no. would, that, it would go bad. It would everybody would get sick, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, it would be a health violation for sure. But they didn't really care about that at Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. No, sorry. Oh, a bunch they of had, kids got hurt in this movie. They had geese just pooping out eggs in the middle of a factory floor. When they go into the inventing room as an adult, I was like, this room is trashed. What is happening in here? There's like metal shavings on the ground. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, the wallpaper licking, how is that sanitary? The schnozberries taste like schnozberries. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I can't get past the child. Like, I get it. I get that they broke the rules. And I, I wrote down like in my notes what their, like, what their punishments were. It was like, Augustus was gluttony. Augustus was gluttony. Violet was rudeness. Veronica was selfishness. And Mike TV was vainglory, which I was like. And then they made the movie Seven after the Tom Yeah. And then they made the movie Seven. <laughs> based on this. On based this on Willy Wonka. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, the kids were shitty and Charlie was the best. And that's why he got the chocolate factory. However, <laughs> child murder through a pipe like i was like getting anxiety from watching him get sucked up from the pipe i was like i would never be able to go inside like you know getting choked pulled through a pipe falling down into a furnace getting turned into a blueberry explain me what you tell your therapist about that one you're like and then i ate the chewing gum and i uh, like i read too squeezed that, me that girl the squeezing room that girl like uh some of the blue makeup or whatever they put on her was coming out of her pores a few days later <laughs> oh, yeah it's a very different time yeah. so to your point about how horrible all that is i'll say one of my favorite scenes in the movie you 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 both may know this but Gene Wilder, when you first are introduced to Willy Wonka, you know, he pretends to have that limp, mm -hmm. right? And then he does that pratfall and stands up. So that was all Gene Wilder who mm -hmm. told them. And, and again, David Seltzer told me the story about how he wanted to make sure that the audience knew that there was someone that you couldn't trust, that he was up to something. And yeah. he had to beg the director to let him do it because the director is like, no, it's stupid. It's weird. But I actually think it's such a brilliant way to introduce this character. Yeah, it's, like, it's he, amazing. The article I read, he said he wouldn't do it. Like he would only make the film if he could do that because he wanted to portray that his actions were completely unpredictable to start it out. Yeah, and then go from there because that like sets it off. Um, that's like I've seen like South not South Park, but like Family Guy do uh, like a beer version, and you get that rolling out part. Yeah, and that's just like, oh, you know what you're watching yeah, because yeah, yeah. Willy yeah. Wonka faked like he yeah. had all it's that. It's iconic. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Willy Wonka as a factory owner. So <laughs> he, sorry. So he's getting 
People are stealing his secrets and his move is to fire everyone that works Mm -hmm. there, which I read an article. There was like a part where like maybe Grandpa Joe had worked there and, you know, that's why their family was desolate. They basically took away all the jobs like that car factory in Detroit. They just shut down, ruined the town. This is basically Detroit, right? I don't know my American factory history so well, (laughs) but that's what I'm going with. And then he gets these people, he saves them from being eaten. So they just like work there 24 seven am i yeah okay and then Mm -hmm. instead of he decides he's going to step away from the factory and instead of like giving the factory to the people that know how it works or run it he's like i'm gonna find a 10 year old this is the only person i mean i guess he doesn't know that 10 year olds are gonna find these things like it could have been an adult that found it i mean all the adults are looking for the tickets but imagine being an oompa loompa and he's like this is the new owner of the factory and it's a little boy well to david's point the fact that not only is it five kids, but it's five white kids throughout the world is <laughs> so hilarious to me. I mean, yeah. like that, that Roald Dahl was like, okay, five people all over the world, a German, <laughs> like two Americans, you know, it's like, yeah. so, and of course the white guy went to a third world country and brought in free labor. I mean, it's like the most <laughs> British thing to ever do in the history of yeah. England. Right? But, so, but no, he saved them. Yes, he, he saved, saved them from there. Of course, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's hyper British. It is the most British move of all time. Yeah. yeah. No, we got you. <laughs> yeah. We're going to save you. It's going to be yeah. fine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I get the, the point of shutting down the factory because you're going to lose your whole business otherwise. All these companies are coming in trying to steal your secrets. Um, you had to figure out a way to do that. I do think it's very interesting, Paris, that yeah, if, if Grandpa Joe worked there and that's why they're in poverty, I, I that's... Yeah, that'd be great because he knew a little bit about why he did. He gave us the story of why it was shut down in the first place. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that's super interesting. But then I think on the ten year old part with um, picking Charlie is that he said he adult would change the business. Mm -hmm. So he would do adult would come in and with their own ideas and change things. He wants it ran the way he sets it up, like a puppet. Well, not. Puppet, but with his his child like sensibilities, the way he thinks. Totally. So I, I don't think thinks... I want to have this conversation anymore. I want to, I want to not think about these things. <laughs> but I know well, that's that's it's getting that's too real. That's what's sad sense. about that's what's sad about these these podcasts. Like, and I'm just playing devil's advocate because I want to stay for the record. I still love this movie. I oh, think God, it's yeah. amazing. I was full of wonder watching it. I was dreaming of going to that you know room yeah. where everything was edible. However, when you do look at it in 2022, it's like it's like when you think that milk in the back of the fridge is still fresh and you just go sniff yeah. it and you're like, ah, that's what, like maybe. That's what made me sad about this, watching it, right? You you view a movie over and over again as you get older, different perspective, and you see it from a different viewpoint. Kids watching this, like your kids watching this and not seeing that a kid, black or brown kid, would be picked to have this great opportunity to live this way, you know, to have fun and all, no, it's only the white kids that get to do that. So that like really stuck in my head and it made me a little sad that kids today coming from like a a background of diversity, they're not even remotely acknowledged in this world. And and not to get on this soapbox, but one of the main notes I get right now as a screenwriter is that we have to make the story universal which means mm. like not so Mexican, right? And my frustration <gasps> always that I rant at my wife about all the time is Mexican kids, 
I didn't watch this movie and think it wasn't universal. Because to me, I was just right. like, oh, I know what it's like to love your grandfather. Like when the mom sings Cheer Up Charlie, I think of my mom. I still do, you know, because my mom's mm-hmm. a fucking dope mom, right? So the, I didn't need hand-holding, right? I didn't yeah. need to make it palatable to me, you know, because I just grew up seeing these stories. And so when I see stuff like this, I'm like, it makes me more frustrated when people tell me like, well, does her name have to be Sochil and we don't know how to pronounce that? Can it be Maria? You know, like, because yeah, we cause never did that with white stories ever. Yeah, because somebody watching that little girl with that name still going to resonate that she's going through kid stuff because yeah, they're a kid. Shit. Yeah, my thing is only just being able to see a little bit of representation of because it's like, oh, not we're all still way in the background. There wasn't like one kid of diversity at that school. No, that whole crowd that's waited outside (laughs) of the gates. I don't, I I can't remember anybody in this movie. Just Uh, the Paraguayan dude. That's the one. Yeah, was just a picture. And he was. Yeah, and they had him as like a a Nazi. Yeah. yeah. Basically. (laughs) And and a fraud. So the one one representation is a fraud. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, we honestly we see this a lot in movies, you know, from a s- certain period of time where they d- it just probably didn't even cross their mind, no. you know. And it's interesting what you talk about the universal story because, like, I hope that's not a coded, you know, coded language for you know, like, make it more white and that's the mainstream I because bet I can definitely uh, is. Yeah, <laughs> they just have to say it a certain way; they don't get in trouble with right. HR. Yeah. <laughs> or, right, and that's it's yeah. that's fucked up because. If you tell me someone's name, I mean, even Veruca, like that's not a that's not a name that like rolls off the tongue. Never heard that name outside of this movie. I always think of Hermione Granger from Harry Potter. Growing up as a kid, I legitimately thought that girl's name was Hermione. Like that's how I was pronouncing (laughs) it in my head for years until I saw the movie. And then I was like, oh, you know, so that's bullshit. Like, yeah, I agree. It is all. It's a it's a sound. Well, and to to talk about the like, uh, because of course, this is how I watch it now. And I'm sure Paris, you're the same way. Like you're thinking of it as a screenwriter, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I love this movie. I think it's amazing. But there's no way that nowadays they would let you take 45 pages to get to the chocolate factory. To meet the main guy? They would be like, on page 15, he gets the ticket. And on 16, he's inside that factory. And they would make you cut all that stuff at the beginning. He gets the ticket on page one. Are you guys okay with that, though? Or okay with the way this movie's set up? Because it's only, what, like an hour and... It's like 136 minutes, right? So it moves well. Oh, I And then you get to that. You get to the factory, and then you're like, oh, let's go. And then it's over, right? So it it even speeds up when you get to that part. So I I felt this whole movie moved pretty well, um, you know, and it was entertaining. So... As both of you, as writers, how do you feel about that? Can you still do that, even though they're pushing back on you to speed it up? Can you still tell a story like this and it'll come off pretty well? Well, I, I'll, I'll say this. I, Paris, I don't know if you – I'm sure you agree. But so many of the movies I love when I watch them, I realize they break all the rules that were taught. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you have to break the rules to make a perfect movie. Like I think things like Save the Cat are actually super helpful as like just a base. But what frustrates me is that producers sometimes forget, like, for example, because of something I was writing, I was watching Good Will Hunting, and, like, the inciting incident doesn't happen until, like, minute 25, and Robin Williams doesn't appear until minute 47, right? Mm -hmm. And then in talking about this other project, they were like, well, the therapist needs to arrive by, like, the 10th page. And I'm like, well, actually, in Good Will Hunting, that won the Oscar, you know, like, 
So I think and, yeah. that stuff is helpful, but it's all about being connected emotionally to the story. And then we'll do anything I, as an audience, I think, you know, Paris. When you I think mean, about that movie, you think about yeah. those two having building their relationship, butting heads. You don't yeah. think how long it took for Robin Williams or, to show up. Or in this movie, thinking about how you get the backstory and the relationship between Charlie and his mom and Charlie and his grandparents and even Charlie, how he exists in school and how the teacher's kind of a dick to him and like the other kids, you know, he's there's that one scene that I love where he's like doing percentages and he's like, and how many did you buy, Charlie? And he says two. And he's like, 200. And he's like, no, just two. And then everyone like looks two? at Two? I can't do that percentage. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, you yeah. should be able to if you're teaching like, kids. All of, all of that color, the candy store that we were talking about <laughs> that I think he gives away too much free candy and then makes the poor kid pay. But, what you know, like all of that is color <laughs> that we love. And we wouldn't have that if I, I swear I agree with you, Bernard. I feel like the 2022 version would be like on in the first two minutes he gets the ticket, yes. and then we, you know, or something like that. You know, well, we can do a montage. We're getting of, a new one, right, with Timothy Chalamet. Are they? Well, yeah. I just read that Netflix basically has the catalog now of Roald Dahl, and they're doing some animated stuff. And I read Donald Glover, but that was a 2018 article, oh, so. Okay. Yeah, I thought I um, remember seeing something that Timothy Chalamet, Timothy Chalamet is would make be a great a Willy Wonka. Would make a great Willy Wonka. Yeah. Wow. I mean, he could also play Charlie if they just you know dressed him down. Well, well I'm, really I'm, cu- I'm curious to ask you both this because you host this podcast, and mm-hmm. so I have some things that mean so much to me as a child that I never watch the new version, even if people say mm. it's good. Like, for example, love Transformers so much because I was five. And the original Transformers movie to me is perfect. Orson Welles mm-hmm. is in it, by the way. I like that animation. Awesome. So I have never seen one of the live action Transformers. And people are like, oh, it's actually pretty good. And I'm like, I can't because I have this pure thing in my head. Yeah. So if Timothy Chalamet makes this movie, I promise you, I will never watch it. <laughs> not not a bad, just because I'm like, I don't Did you see another. Charlie in the Chocolate Factory with Johnny So Depp? I did see that and I was so okay. angry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You yeah, because it, it kind of puts if it if it doesn't hold up, it kind of puts a stain on yeah. what you held See, so dearly. I disagree, David, because I think that the two movies can exist and be totally different. Because I think about the witches, which we did, which is another Roald Dahl. Oof, love we that talk, movie. We, well, we talked about the original and then the new Anne Hathaway one when it first came out, and. Again, I think they're very different. Like, Witches, the original to me was like very freaky in like an understated kind of way, you know, like Angelica Houston. The newer one, obviously, they have CG and stuff. They make Anne Hathaway's mouth really big and scary. So it's just different. And like, I just don't think I love Anne Hathaway. I love the um, Octavia Spencer in that movie, Mm -hmm. right? Huge powerhouse actors, but I don't need that movie. And I didn't really like that movie if I'm comparing it to. The OG witches, which mm-hmm. when I was like coming up, I mentioned that and be like, I've never seen that. So like me, you, Wes are like really my only friends that have ever seen that movie. And, and then we nerd out about that movie. Right. That's not going to happen with us. I don't think with the Anne Hathaway one. But let's well, see, because we don't know. But like, I don't Bernardo's I can't really give you like, much oh from God. that movie right now. Yeah. And we watched it like a year ago because I didn't really like it. Right. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Like Ghostbusters to me. I would watch that that female cast that they remake Ghostbusters with in like anything. It's like, why did you just remake this though? Why why wasn't it just a different story with this cast? And I'm going to go see that movie in the theaters, right? 
That's just I mean, how I feel. A, that's how I feel about remakes. Working that landscape, but it feels yeah. like Hollywood right now, at least, is so obsessed with IP, with oh. like remaking stuff because it's bankable. Because unfortunately, and this is what I was going to say as well. Like, I love the way this movie is written, but also you've got to think back in the day. I feel like filmmakers had more writers, directors. They had more risks. They had more chances to make weird original things. I mean, yes, this was based off a book, but like Gene Wilder's interpretation of this character is fucking insane like he's insane insane in this you know now like you said there's people like i'm not saying it's the pc police or whatever because like i do think we need to be more conscious of the fact that there's not a single person of representation in this film however i do think that as we put ourselves into boxes or like this is the format or this is the thing and with the amount of streaming services and the amount of competition to break through the noise people are yeah, like they're a bit more hesitant to be original and then they're a bit more hesitant to like be bold and that's why you see well, remakes. And, and then- part of that also I think is just plain old racism and sexism, right? Because I think like for a lot of the people who are still in charge, which are mostly white men, right? They're like, okay, okay, we know, we hear you. Like we got to make a Mexican movie. And then every meeting I have is, can you make the Mexican white story, right? Like for them to just make an original just Mexican story is such a risk to them, right? Right. And look, I get it. They're businessmen, but I don't get it because there's also sexism. And, you know, that's why you do see these remakes that like, like for me, the the all-female Ghostbusters, that's at least interesting because at least it's a totally different take Super on different, it, right? Yeah. Than just remaking the thing, right? So there is at yeah. least a mission statement behind that that I'm into. And so I'm happy to watch that, right? But to just remake something beat for beat, but just like have a better camera just with updated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That to me is like, I don't want to watch that because I probably will not be able to forget that the five-year-old me just really yeah. likes the way it was, you know, that's um, kind of how I feel about just yeah. all remakes in general. Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of thing. And like, I'll just rewatch the OG version and give Such me a cinematic purist. Give me, like, <laughs> yeah. give, okay, I'll, I'll watch them, right? Because I love film and I love movies and I love yeah. all these actors and I support all of that. But I, when I'm honest, like, I don't like it. I didn't like, I didn't like it as a movie. It, it, it parts entertain me, but overall as a stand-up, like that OG one, there's yet to be a remake that I would even put close to the original. And so hopefully yeah. somebody changes my mind. But someday. then there's... You know, I hear you, I do. And then it's like when a book is written and everybody loves the book and then they make the movie of the book and they're like, the, the book was better. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, there's you always... can have more detail in the book. Right. A there's lot always of times. that argument. Well, I the, think the one, the one book movie that you, you brought it up in your last episode that I listened to, Paris, is that I agree with you. No Country for Old Men is one of the few examples where I love that book. And I think that movie is perfect. Like, mm-hmm. I think that interpretation of that book is like, I adore that movie. You like know? Gone so I'm Girl, I'm so happy that was made. I'm so Gone happy. Girl went like beat for beat with the book. Yeah. There's one the, sentence at the end that was different. Otherwise, yeah. it was the. But exact again, it's same. it's a different experience. You know, when you're alone with a book. You know. Anyway, I did want to bring up because we kind of touched on it, and we are getting towards the end of our episode. But watching this in 2022, I mean, as a kid, I thought the the flying scene when Charlie and his grandpa drink the bubbles is so magical. Mm-hmm. And then I'm watching it and I'm like, I can fully see the lines connecting them and the machine yeah, mechanism on their hips, that they're attached on grandpa, to. On grandpa's hips. And it's just, I mean, it's kind of like you kind of shrug and go, whatever, it was made in the 70s. You know, it's like we've moved on. But it's just so funny that like in HD, 
I notice it. And also even like the chocolate room, which as a kid I thought was amazing. And by the way, the reactions of the kids when they come through the door is genuine. The director didn't tell them what was going to happen. Like that's how I would react. Like the fact that you can eat all this stuff and like they put actual candies in there. But yes, it is hilarious to watch. Um, And also like the, there was like some graphics that were like my partner, who's an editor and who does graphics was like, Oh, that's terrible. You know, (laughs) you know, and then it's like appears. Um, yeah, it's it's funny to watch that now. Did you guys feel a little bit like, oh, I can... I, I can noticed that. You could tell, like, Grandpa's coat was yeah. disturbed <laughs> because of one of the wires. But, like, Bernardo was saying, like, watch it. Seeing that as a kid, and you just forgive this stuff because well, you love it so much. I as a kid, yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm saying, like, watching it now because that, oh, like, yeah. that kid in you kind of comes forward and it's like, no, this is still, still a great scene, and you wish that that fizz drink actually existed totally things like that it's just someone thought up all this cool stuff in like a candy um soda realm and it's it's just super interesting and and unique to me if there was one candy from the movie that you wish was real right now what would you pick i would choose the everlasting gobstopper for sure although watching it as an adult i'm like that fully looks like an eraser or like a (laughs) Like That's, a Rubik's cube, totally you know, <laughs> like, why did I think that was the most delicious? I was so excited for a never ending gobstopper. And now I'm like, eh. what, what, what would you choose from the movie? Uh, David, do you have one? Um, I would probably go with the flying fizz drink because <laughs> <clears throat> I was thinking about just travel and logistically. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't got to get an Uber. Um, yes, you would so just have like right some now. sort of backpack. Yeah. With like a little mm-hmm. fan on it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Pop your fizz drink, maybe put a little CBD in it, and then <laughs> zoom off downtown for a function. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's really yeah. smart. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be really good. Yeah. What about you, Bonato? What would you well, choose? Well, my my answer is so boring. As soon as David started, my the the piece of chocolate that he first gives Grandpa Joe that's like a marshmallow chocolate thingy. Mm. Yeah. That's my favorite combination in chocolate is chocolate and marshmallow. Like those are really Rocky good. Rocky Road is my ice cream. Like. So that mm. when he like pulls that marshmallow apart, I'm like, I want that so bad. <laughs> but you know what? It just looks so much better on camera. And then the way he describes them, yeah. like that was me as a kid. I was like, what are these whizzing fang, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I always did think the uh, lickable wallpaper would be good. But like mm-hmm. post COVID, it's like, eh, would you? <laughs> no, definitely Every not. time I see that now, I geek out from um, Super Troopers because oh, he yeah. ate all his mushrooms and weed and he's licking the back of the cop car. And he's like right. turns to him so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so be- well, because we're almost out of time, I, can I can I share a very yeah. quick story about the last line of the movie? Just because absolutely. So I think this is really cool, I, Paris. I think you'll appreciate this as a writer. So David Seltzer again, because he was my Spanish student. I'm shouting him out a lot, but so he told me that the last line of the movie, if you remember, is like, "Did you hear the story about the boy who got everything he ever wanted? They lived. Ha- he lived happily ever he lived after. Happily ever after. Yeah. So he gets a call one day on a payphone. Okay. <laughs> And it's the director of the movie, and he's like, we're shooting the final scene, and the last line doesn't work. It was something else. And he's like, I need you to give me a line right now, because we'll, like Gene Wilder's literally in the booth right now, and I need you to come up with a line right now. And David Seltzer is on a payphone, standing there, and he just, it just like, he talks about, it just came out of him, that line. He's just wow. standing there, panicking, the guy's like, come up with a line right now, and he's like, uh, and he said it. And I love that line so much. Anyway, I just think that's a cool story of like no, imagine that's as a amazing. writer being told like come up with the final line of the movie now. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is wild. Good good for him. 
yeah. to be able to do that. I mean, that. that's that's how you... And also, you said it was his first movie. And also, it's Roald Dahl's books. And he was the writer and got kicked off. Like, this writer seems like he, you know... <laughs> they didn't make it easy on him. No. Fucking hell. <laughs> uh, any other trivia from the film? Because I know there's a lot. I, I would like to share that the, the children from this film... Uh, Peter Ostrom never acted again, which yeah. is interesting. He plays Charlie. He became a veterinarian, <laughs> which is a perfectly respectable career. But you would think... You know, carrying a huge movie like this, you might go on to do other things, but no, he didn't. Um, and I saw, yes, they're all still friends. I also read that uh, the Oompa Loompas, I think there were like seven of them that, you know, they struggled to cast them. One of them is a woman, which you can't really tell. I was trying to figure out which one it was. And then uh, they were all from different parts of the world. There was like some British, some, oh. fr- uh, some from America, Turkey, some different places. And they all became really close too, which is really nice. That's you cool. love to yeah. see. Yeah, I did that. see the film was originally financed by the Quaker Oats Company mm-hmm. um, because they had a new candy bar that was going to come out. So they changed it from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory because they wanted the candy bar tie-in. And then while they were marketing it, the chocolate formula caused the bars to melt too easy mm-hmm. while they're on the shelf. So they had to take it off the market. And now Nestle owns the Wonka Candy Company. So that's, that's kind of interesting how they found money, right, to help finance this movie from a candy company. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I did see another fun thing because I love like set designs and looking. I mean, the sets in this was great. So, you know, in the scene with uh, Wonka's office, how everything's cut in half. Mm-hmm. There's apparently the director said there was no like meaning behind it. They built this beautiful set and it just looked didn't look crazy enough. So he just made them cut everything in half wow. to like show that he was mental. And I love that. Yeah, One of the too. things I love in the beginning that kind of gives you a sense of this magic is, you know, when they hang up their coats and the hands are there. Yeah. So those were the actual spray painted hands of some of the carpenters that worked on the film. Oh, so that would nice. be a very cool claim to fame if you were like, I worked on the movie and also you can see my hand. Like oh, I that's grabbed. awesome. That's grabbed, so cool. Yeah, I grabbed Grandpa Jill's hat. Yeah. No, it's it's such a fun movie. And as much as I like, you know, I have to like critique it. That's the sure. point of the podcast. I will say... I do absolutely love it. And like I said, I'm beaming right now. Like this film just brings a smile to my face. And Scott was like, I'm going to watch five minutes with you. And then I'm going to do my own thing. And he sat through the entire yeah. thing and was like this movie. And every him. song, like oh. every song is just so beautiful. So I, I did see it all, but there's only one song that was actually in the book. Every other song mm-hmm. was written for this movie. For the movie. Yeah. Very cool. I completely forgot, guys. There was that scene where they get sprayed with... um. I don't know. It's like foam or something. Yeah. I completely forgot about that scene, yeah. and then they they get dried off. But I yeah. I was thinking like there were some things in this movie that would have been so fun as the oh actors, the little kids. Well, they use they used um, fire extinguisher stuff. So a lot of those they all got oh. sick for a couple of days because oh. it was a skin irritant. <laughs> so yeah. less adorable. Wow, than... the seventies, man. It's just such a wild like. Or I was yeah, I was thinking like the scene where they have them sign, you know, I was like, Oh, so they're just having kids sign the contracts and Grandpa Joe's like, Do it, Charlie and then I was also like, Yeah, did they just also give contracts to the parents of these children? They're like, So we're gonna put fire extinguisher at them and we're gonna throw them into a river and we're gonna do this and the parents were like, Yeah, do it. It's the seventies, baby. I don't care. <laughs> well, it is getting to that time where we have to give someone a shout out from the cast or crew. Before we do that, Bernardo, people that are listening 
where can they support your work, find you? Do you have any last advice? We kind of always ask these questions of our guests. I, I have no advice whatsoever. <laughs> it's a really hard industry. But um, yeah. but uh, I have a play going on in Los Angeles right now, actually, at the Road Theater. It's Ooh. called The Play You Want. Uh, it's, it's going on for another month, and it looks like we're going to extend another one. So it, please come out Congrats. if you can and support that. If you go to the Road Theater, you can find all the info there. Uh, and then, you know, I have social media. I'm Pinche Cubria on Instagram, if you want to follow me on there and look at pictures of my kids. And then I'm on Twitter also, but I, I, I don't really tweet that much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So be Cubria on Twitter. That's it. Where? Um, amazing. Well, what part of the city is the you play in, the Road Theater? Uh, in North Hollywood. At the North Hollywood. Hollywood. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I'll, David, I'll, let's I'll, get yeah, tickets. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, yeah, come. Yes, absolutely. Got to support our people. Well, mm-hmm. great. Yes, it is a hard industry. We're grateful that you came on and shared a little bit of your story. Maybe it will p- make people realize that, you know, there is no XYZ formula. You don't just get to find a golden ticket. Sometimes you do. Yeah. Sometimes you got to go the long way around. You got to sure manifest it like Charlie yeah. did because he yeah. wanted it more. So if you do that in life, you can get anything you want if you want right. it more. Yeah. But you know what his mom said? There's a hundred billion people in this world, Charlie, and a hundred billion of them. Are, and I was like, girl, you need to. No, nope, Charlie is, wanted it more. This is why the <laughs> education system in this country is. Fun. Yeah, the hundred hundred billion yeah, part. Billion yeah. people. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure we're up to like eight or nine billion, yeah, girl. Yeah, but yeah, sure, yeah, go yeah. off. Um, okay, let's do our shout-outs. Bernardo, you are our guest, so you are allowed to go first, just so we don't accidentally choose the same people because that has happened before. Okay. Go ahead. So without a doubt, the best underrated performance in this movie is from an actor named David Batley. He plays uh, the character Mr. Turkentine, which is the math professor. And the way he plays it is so funny. He's like clearly like a vaudeville trained, like old school British actor. And every line is like comedic gold. And like you said, and he's like, two, I can't do two. Like, you know, like that, every scene that guy is in, I'm like, I fucking love this actor. And when they announce like, oh, the competition's going and he's like, class is canceled. And he grabs his, (laughs) it's just so like perfect kids acting. I just, that guy put him in the hall of fame, you know, really great. I'm so glad you brought him up because I literally (laughs) turned to my partner and was like, I remember this character so much. And he like, didn't have a massive part, but he was like, you know what? I'm fucking going to go. You're going to, and he gave it his all and he was so great. So yes. I, I wow. had teachers like that and it's like, I got it. Cause I have a dry sense of humor, but other kids would be like, Oh, like she's a bitch or he's an asshole. Yeah. I'm like, you, they are making jokes. You just don't yeah. get it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So his name's Matt. Did you say his name's Matt? No, his name is David Batley. David, David yes. Batley. I heard, I heard the, last part of his name so david batley we see you and we appreciate you you. thank you for your contribution okay i'll go next yeah we might have the same one paris i don't think so i went i went off i think i know what you're gonna choose but i went for marion doherty she was the casting director and i mean to find those five white kids that did such a good job (laughs) yeah they're amazing um i mean it you know veruca salt like her song i saw that 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 scene that she did took 37 takes. That's a wow. lot on a kid. Wow. You know, they they threw that kid in the river. <laughs> they, <laughs> they did all kinds of... They, that one girl who was like sweating out fucking blue paint forever and ever. <laughs> and you know what? The parents too. The parents were great. Let's give a shout out to the parent mm-hmm. actors. They were not the focus, but like each of them had their own little thing. You know, the one guy was the car salesman and 
yeah i just thought it was great the mom with the kid that watches tv she was kind of like hysterical and amazing amazing. every every single person was great so marion we see you and we appreciate you we see you and Um, we appreciate you looks like her last uh job at least on imdb was in 2006 she was on the payback straight up but she also did additional casting on full metal jacket which is a film you might have heard of urban cowboys Wow. Route 66, the TV show, uh, lots of different things. And yeah, she, and then, you know, she worked all through casting and I don't think casting gets enough of a shout out because it's actually like such a magical thing to be able to put the right people in the right thing together. And, um, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah they got to see it beforehand, right? Yeah, they got to see it. So David, who do you have? <clears throat> I went with the art department and this is why I thought you were going there because you're talking yeah, about the sets. Yeah, because I was talking about the yeah, sets. Yeah, so I, I loved all the sets in this. And being an actor, we talked about this in Hook, a couple other movies. To be able to have something like this, to be able to run around yeah. and explore mm-hmm. and just create and live in, I think it would be fantastic to act in something like this and be a part of it. So mm-hmm. um, Hendrick Wynads, you did a great job with this. Um, he also worked on Young Frankenstein. Mel mm-hmm. Brooks and mm-hmm. Gene Wilder. Gene. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so Karate Kid Part 2, a bunch of different movies, oh. High Anxiety, uh, the construction mm-hmm. coordinator on that. And so, yeah, it's got about 34 credits in the art department. And this Damn. movie would not be the same without his contribution. So we yeah. see you and we appreciate you. We see you and we appreciate you. Okay, guys. Well, now is the all-important part. Well, we have to decide if this movie has aged like milk or not. David, why don't you go first? Kick us off. Okay, so I'm going to say this movie aged like the full three-course meal gum, right? Okay. And this this is why. Because I love it. It tastes great. The flavor is amazing. You're getting all these rush of different emotions and tastes, and it's taking you on a journey. And then as an adult, I got a little blue (laughs) because I didn't see anybody that's not – a white person in this movie and i just would have liked you know one little kid to be diverse just so all the little kids that can enjoy this movie love this movie like i did um could be like yeah i could see myself running around that factory with all these Winning. other kids because yeah, it's not just white kids exactly get to win stuff exactly I'm kids are just yeah. kids are kids and they should all you know have a chance to kick it with willie so i do not think this movie aged like milk. I think it aged well. It still holds up besides that little bit of blueberry um, part uh, with, you know, the diversity. But um, overall, love this movie. Still love this movie. And uh, yeah, it's great. All right, Bernardo, what do you think? Well, I think people will know. I think this movie's perfect. It aged like <laughs> a fine wine. I mean, I will say this. Here's, here's one good reason that they didn't put uh, uh, people of color in this movie is I do not trust the white people behind this movie in the 70s to like if there was a Mexican kid, you know, he would like be in a sombrero, be on yep. a donkey when he opened the chocolate bar. Right. <laughs> if it was like a kid from Asia, the accent would be like horrific, you know, and that would yeah. be a chops- joke. with chopsticks like. So, so, yeah. so there is a small part of me that is grateful that we didn't have to see their yeah, version point. of I international children. Yeah. Uh, but no, look, obviously there should be more diversity in this movie, like more representation for women, all of that. But I think this movie is amazing. It makes me feel like I'm five and it just puts a giant smile on my face. 
Okay, I love that. And you're so right, because they had the little cowboy from Texas with this cowboy yeah, yeah. So yeah, imagine yeah, yeah. what they would have done. done with... Yeah. And oh, the yeah, little yeah. the German kid was wearing lederhosen the whole time. Yeah, Everyone's yeah, just yeah, chilling, yeah. and that's what you wear. Okay, <laughs> yeah. good point. Okay, well, I'm going to say that this movie aged like the chocolate river, where if you put your hands into it too much, if you get too close to it, it could go bad. I yes. do think it's a beautiful film. I feel the same way as Bernardo and David. I This movie gave me a huge smile. I was like it's been too long since i saw this film every single note from the movie like from the songs was like nostalgia beamed straight to my heart however when you look a little too close if you get your hands in the chocolate river you start to ask some questions about slavery you start to ask some questions <laughs> about whether or not a kid is the right person to be managing this factory you start to wonder where all the black people are the asians the you know like yeah so i'm with you on the diversity um yeah, but it's still like, would I drink from this chocolate river? Absolutely. Who wouldn't? You know what I mean? So the child murder, everyone else is fine with it. I have some questions, <laughs> you know, but it is it is a great film. And I think, you know, even what we learned about Roald Dahl, like th these magical stories, like this imagination, like it probably honestly inspired me to become a writer that the stories are so fantastical that they're based on. So yes i agree well thank you for making us rewatch this film bernardo thank you for coming on our podcast yeah. and sharing your stories nice to meet you man it's so nice to meet you and this was a, such a joy and uh paris when i met you and you told me the idea for this podcast it's like that's genius mm -hmm. it feels like i'm sure you have this as a writer when you see a preview for a movie and you're like that was sitting there the whole time and i didn't come up with that <laughs> when when i heard the premise for this whole podcast i was like of course this is so smart and it was a joy and so thank you both yeah. so much yeah and it's so much fun for us to meet new friends and watch movies and figure out like you know why we like what we do it's great yeah okay so then that's it for now but you should definitely follow bernardo you should definitely go see his play in north hollywood if you are in la you might see david william rogers and i there uh, but for now, David, you should just go ahead and check your fridge. And make sure that milk ain't spoiled. Because gross milk is gross. That's our show. We'll catch you on the flip. Uh, be careful. Don't go in the chocolate river. And if a man invites you back to his chocolate factory, just ask a few more questions. You know, just don't go willy nilly. Uh, that's my only advice. Don't to you sell the now. recipes. Keep it real. <laughs> don't sell the <laughs> recipes. Stay true. Okay. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.